You're listening to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast from PursueGod.org. Join pastors Ross Anderson and Brian Dwyer every Monday as they pull back the curtain on LDS history, culture, and theology. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org slash Mormonism. Well, Ross, today we're going to talk all about life in an LDS family. Mormonism makes a big deal about families. It's really hard to understand life as a member of the LDS Church without factoring in the strong emphasis on family. And so today we've we've brought in some folks that our listeners probably would know a little bit about. Bo and KD a couple weeks ago shared their story of coming out of the Mormon Church, and we thought it would be really helpful to get a perspective from them about what life really is like growing up Mormon, and in, in particular, guys, for everyone involved here, we're going to talk about family. And I, I want to start with with really who these two audience that we're, audiences that we're really trying to focus on. First of all, if you're if you're a Christian or someone listening to this, you have a Mormon neighbor, Mormon coworker. You're really just trying to build a bridge. You're trying to understand them. This episode's for you. You're going to learn a lot about. We're going to try to unveil sort of the the family dynamic. I, I'm really excited, Bo and Katie, to hear a little bit of your stories here. And so a lot of that's just going to be purely information. We're not going to make a judgment on a lot of this stuff. We just we just really want you to understand your Mormon neighbor. But at the end, Bo and Katie, I would also love for you to speak to the LDS listener, the Mormon listener. I know we have a lot of Mormon listeners um, on the pod who are listening to the podcast who are thinking about doing what you guys did, leaving the Mormon Church. And I, I'd want to save some time at the very end to address Mormonism for them, like your perspective now on all this stuff we're going to talk about today. So Ross, why don't we start with this? First of all, if you want a great book out there, Ross, Ross, what was the title of your book? Uh, Understanding Your That's Mormon it. Neighbor? I yeah. have that right. Ross Anderson, we'll put a link to it in the show notes if you want to read about this, but today we're just going to spend some time talking about it. The first thing I think we need to address is that family is the way to salvation. Ross, why don't you explain that first, and then uh, Bo and Katie, I'd love for you to help us to understand what this looks like in a real Mormon family. Yeah, there's a lot to really like about Mormon family life. F- their families are strong, and it's, a, it's an emphasis in the LDS Church, and we like to emphasize families too as, as uh, traditional Christians, but What's different really is the worldview that it's a, that's at the heart of those values. At the heart of the LDS value of family is really because families are the center of the LDS plan of salvation. So the universe is really organized along family lines. Um, heaven is kind of an extension of earthly home life in many ways. And, and so that's why, I don't know if they still have this bumper sticker, but they used to have the bumper sticker that said families are forever. And that's a common phrase. Uh, that you'll see around because LDS people believe that families are saved or exalted in eternity as a family unit together with the other members of your family. And so that's one reason why families are so important in LDS life. Bo, help us to understand. Is that true? Is that, are, Did we just overstate that? Because some Christians are listening to this saying, what? Families are the basic unit of exaltation? Is that really how it came across to you growing up Mormon and, and Bo and Katie raising a Mormon family for eight years? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's definitely it. I mean, everyone has 
the family of proclamation to the world hung on their wall, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's something that Mormons view as basically the scripture, the, the proclamation of the world on the family. So yeah, family, uh, the, the Mormons believe it's the central unit to society, and they also believe that um, your family, when sealed together through the proper ordinances, uh, exists beyond this life and in the next. What, how did that come across for moms, KD? Like, like for, does that put pressure on you as a mom to think that families are forever? Like, I, I don't want to screw this up for eternity for my kids. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I still have really young children, but um, I believe that especially as children get older and make their own choices, this can really, really affect a family dynamic um, particularly if a child chooses to leave the Mormon faith or make decisions contrary to, you know, God's laws, then the family union unit can be um, sort of broken um, in that way. And this is this is one of the reasons we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, guys. This is one of the reasons it's so it was so difficult, by the way, for you to make the decision after years of investigating. Um, some of your questions about Mormonism when the gospel topics came out. This is one of the main reasons, isn't it, Bo, that it was hard for you to make that call because if you love your parents. Both of you love your parents and you love your families, and it's more than just a religious decision. Yeah, absolutely. I would say it's the reason that it was so difficult for so many years because, again, you're clinging on to the idea that your family is forever, just like the bumper sticker says. So when you... When you have that idea and you're raised with that idea, um, you're sealed in the temple or you're born in the covenant, as a Mormon would say. Uh, not only is there, you know, incredible pressure to live up to that standard, but there's also just a very, very firm belief that that the family relationship that you have now will continue beyond death, which uh, the only way that that can happen is if you adhere to... Uh, Mormon doctrines. So, so the, yeah, the, the stakes are high, um, for Mormons for sure, because if, if you want to live with your family after this life, which who wouldn't want to live with their family, right? Uh, then, then yeah, you'd have to adhere to the gospel of Mormonism, which, um, when you think about leaving that gospel, when you think about, you know, maybe converting to Christianity, uh, you, you have to look long and hard at, does this mean I'm going to lose my family relationship for eternity? Mm. And that's a, that's a very difficult decision for, you know, many people. We're going to throw this out as a teaser. Let's come back to that at the end, by the way, for Mormons who are resonating with what you're saying right now, guys. But let me, let me just ask you this then, Bo, Katie, would your, how would your bishop then articulate that to you? Would they say then that you're, you, like you're not going to, live with your families in, in eternity? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're getting right to it, Brian. Yeah, they, they would. Uh, in, yeah, as a matter of fact, when we left the Mormon church, um, our temple recommends were removed, right? Uh, which meant we, we were no longer able to participate in the temple. And we also, um, when you leave the Mormon church, you're also leaving behind covenants that you've made, which seal you to your family unit. So I guess technically, 
yes, technically you, you wouldn't be sealed necessarily to the rest of your family. Which again has got to be devastating for mom and dad who are experienced, who are thinking about that. Again, I, for, for LDS folks listening right now, I really just encourage you to keep listening because um, we've got Ross here who also grew up Mormon, but he really can help explain this to us. We're going to save it for the end because we want to keep our listeners all the way to the end. But I think it's really important to know what God's Word says about this because otherwise, if you don't know what, God's, what the Bible says about this, then there's no way a Mormon would ever leave because the stakes are too high. So let's come back to that at the end, because we really want to give hope to folks who are wrestling with that very question about family being the, at the center of the plan of salvation and the basic unit of exaltation. We're going to come back to that at the end. But let's, let's spend a little time, Ross, maybe talking about some family practices. Let's lighten it up a little bit. Man, we got really, really serious really quick, didn't we? Um, let, let's talk about what it looks like in the household, and then I want to make sure that we give... Bo and Katie a chance to talk about family home evening, which is so fascinating to me, and, and probably a lot of Christians don't know what that is. Right. Well, to start talking about the family on a practical level, how it's lived out uh, day in and day out, I think one, the first thing I would want to point out is that the role of the father in an active LDS family as the, as the male priesthood holder, the father's the patriarch of the home, and uh, so he's the one, because he holds the priesthood, and so that uh, there's a lot of functions there in terms of decision-making, leadership, the ability to baptize his children, ordain his sons to priesthood offices, to give a, a blessing when they're sick, to dedicate a, uh, a baby when they're, a blessed baby when they're, when they're first born. And so there's a lot of aspects of family life that really revolve around that patriarchal role of the father. And so I, I wonder if, if Bo, Katie, you guys could talk a little bit about your experience as the father and the mother, those, those, uh, those two roles within a typical um, LDS family. Yeah, happy to. Um, so yeah, as the, like you said, as the patriarch of the family, right, the, the adult male holds, uh, typically holds the priesthood. And, and as the priesthood holder in the home, um, you are essentially responsible for uh, ministering to your family. Right, so just as you said, Ross, whether it's a priesthood blessing when a family member is sick, or providing a blessing of comfort, um, or or whether it's you know uh, pr- pr- helping your family participate in ordinances such as baptism or confirmation or a baby blessing, that's the role of the father in the home. I, for one, can say I I think that's awesome. By the way, I love the I love the call. In Mormonism, the the expectation that men are going to step up and lead, I think that's great because I think too many church traditions have women and not men involved. Moms bring their kids to church, and the dads know where to be found. So I think that's wonderful. But let me ask this, Bo: what what about the dad who's maybe just on the fence? You know, what, does does that dad still get to do that? That's a it's a good question. It's typically. Um, up to the priesthood leadership of the ward. So it's typically up to the bishop whether or not a father is worthy enough to participate in certain ordinances. Um, So, I mean, yeah, that's typically a judgment call by the bishop. Uh, For me, growing up in a Mormon home, 
I, I had a very faithful stalwart father um, who participated in all of those ordinances and was the you know the leader kind of the backbone of the family and then I did my best to, to follow in his footsteps with with my own family Ross explain what family home evening is and then I really want to hear I'm going to, I'm going to pepper Bo and KD with some specific questions about it but let's start with just a basic definition what is family home evening yeah family home evening is um, a structured evening where the family gets together and um, it's a purposeful intentional family time to uh, build their faith now, I haven't been to family home evening in decades, right? So I, I'm, I don't know how it's changed since um, I was a kid, but it includes things like religious lessons, but fun activities. Um, sometimes some families use it as a time to kind of do family business and calendar and stuff like that. And so it's uh, typically on Monday night. It always has been on Monday nights. And so tell, tell us guys kind of what family home evening is like more recently than in my experience. Um, it's still very similar. Um, there's usually, well, how we would structure it. We would structure somebody Somebody gets to say the opening prayer. Somebody gets to read a scripture or read the scripture story. Um, and then there would usually be a game. Usually somebody would be in charge of a treat and then a closing prayer. And um, recently they've changed it to it can be on any night. It doesn't have to be on um, Monday nights, but I also grew up with that where it was on Monday evenings. Um, but now it can be, we changed it to, we would do it on Sundays, usually Sunday evenings. So who would, who would lead family home evening? Is that, does the husband then, does the dad, the priesthood holder lead family home evening? They're supposed to. <laughs> oh, are we outing you, Bo? What's going yeah, on? They, they are supposed to. That's true. I, <laughs> I, I would guess that seventy percent of Mormon homes, the the woman 90. is leading. Ninety, we're saying ninety. 90. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. That's who this. We're really getting down and dirty now. This is good. <laughs> no, but but yeah. Typically, I think the ask would be that. The, the priest that leads the, the family home evening is the patriarch, but yeah, typically it's the matriarch running those for sure. So, um, I mean, the most important part is the treat at the end anyway. So <laughs> that makes sense. But, but yeah, so, so it could really now, nowadays it, it, it's really any day of the week that the family chooses, um, to hold regular family home evenings. It's still definitely recommended by the church. And, um, I mean, growing up in Utah, I remember like, there were no practices on Monday nights. You you didn't have basketball games Monday nights typically, right? Like it was very reserved here in Utah um, for families. Yeah. Okay. So wait, now how does this, um, is this where home teachers get involved and explain what, what that is? It's, it's not actually. So okay. family home evening is specific to the family. It's just you and your family unit holding right? Like calendar meeting as well as a scripture thought and, and okay. then, you know, games and a treat. So, so home teaching, which nowadays would be called ministering, they, they changed the name of it. Um, but essentially you are assigned families in the ward, um, from your church leadership to go and visit regularly, check in on, make sure that they're, you know, that their needs are met, whether it's temporal or spiritual, but the emphasis is typically on, some sort of a spiritual message 
given out of the words of modern day prophets from the church magazine, the the Liahona or the Enzyme. Okay, so I'm I'm con- this is good. You're clearing this up for me. So, did you guys have a home teacher come to your house? Yeah, for sure. We have had many home teachers. We've moved a few times, but yeah, we've always been assigned a home teacher or a ministering pair. And yeah, we've had people come to our home. And so that's a separate night of the week. This is what I'm. This is what I guess I didn't realize. So there's two nights of the week. If you're a card-carrying Mormon, there are two nights of the week that, you, that you'll spend one night doing family home, e- home evening, and the other night someone from the ward coming over and doing home teaching for you. Um, well, it depends on what your calling is, uh, mm. too. But, but yeah, th- there would be another night of the week, whether it's a Sunday night or a Tuesday night or a Thursday night, whatever, where, yeah, you're getting visited. It's not once a week, typically. It was once okay. a month. You would be asked, actually, to give an accounting for how many of your families you did visit that you're assigned. Hmm. Um, and they keep, they keep a record of how many of the families you're assigned to visit you actually visited so that they, they can keep track of, out of all the members of their ward um, in their, you know, their congregation, how many received a visit from their visiting or home teachers. Yeah, or their minister, their minister families. Okay, so let me. I'm I'm gonna be. I'm gonna play the the uh, uninformed Christian here because that's actually what I am. I'm not just playing the role. So you're saying, Bo, for you and and KD for you as well that that you would have a home teacher come to your house to your home once a monthish. Yeah, but then you would also be home teachers for for another family. Yes, that's right. Not together. Okay. Not together because um, men would be um, typically ministering to different families than the women. So, so usually the women ministered to the the, sis, the sisters in the ward, the the women in the ward. The men would minister to the entire family in the ward. I see. And that has to do with the priesthood. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so how many? So we're I'm, we're starting to piece together a little bit of a picture of how busy the life of a faithful Mormon really is. I mean, this is I I can just imagine my Christian friends listening to this saying, "Wait, what? What? What did you just say? You do family? I mean, we can we kind of get family home evening because it's like family devotionals, so we get we can kind of connect to that. But some of this, some you know, as you start thinking about the callings we have, we've only gotten started here. It really does kind of dominate your life, doesn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think outside of your your actual job, like this is this is going to take up the yeah majority of your week. So let's talk a little bit about some of the other some of the other ways that you do service or there's, that worthy members are expected to give of their time and energy. And, and I want to I ask you guys about this thing called a primary calling at your local ward. And I think you talked a little bit about it when you shared a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, but explain to us what a primary calling is and, and how that works at the local congregational level. So maybe to clarify, when you say primary calling, are you talking about a calling in the primary of the church? No. Or are you saying your first, like, primary, most important calling? I think your main calling, right? Is that what we mean by that? 
That's yeah, right. because primary means kids' church, basically, right? Is yeah, that yeah. serving with the children, right? Yeah, that's right. That's There's right. There's a whole different set of vocabulary for for um, the Mormons compared to the Christians, and I'm still learning it myself. Youth group, they call young men, young men's, young women's, yeah, young men's, young or women's. Or they just call it mutual. Men's, they still call the it mutual, don't they? Do they? Yeah, mutual night. Yep. And then you've got the men is the men's group is the priesthood. The women's group is. Relief Society, um, and the men's group is Elders Quorum. Okay, so in a Christian church, you can volunteer to serve in any of these areas. Explain for a second, Bo and KD, how it works in a Mormon church. Yeah, sure. So in a, in a Mormon church, there are callings, and these callings come from church leadership. So uh, it, it, it either comes from your local leadership from your ward, so that would be your bishop or the bishopric that's calling you to a specific calling to serve in your ward, or it would come from the stake president who's in charge of the bishops as well as the elders quorum. Yeah, so, so these callings are specific assignments given to you from your church leadership. It's, it's not a, hey, who'd like to volunteer for kids' church, right? It is, hey, we prayed about it, and the Lord has encouraged us or revealed to us or told us that you should be the elders quorum president over this congregation or that you should be serving the 12-year-olds or that you should be in primary with the, with the children. So, yeah, it's, it's a specific church assignment from your church leaders. KD, what was, your, what was the calling that, put, that took you most out of your comfort zone in all the time that you served as a, as a Mormon? Well, there were many that took me out of my <laughs> comfort zone, but uh, the two that probably took me the most out of my comfort zone was um, Primary Chorister, which is leading music, which I can't read music. <laughs> and so that was really fun. But then the, the second one that really took me out of my comfort zone was gospel doctrines teacher in the Old Testament. Okay, so what explain that. What does that mean, gospel doctrines teacher? Okay, so gospel doctrines teacher is like Sunday school. And I would teach the men and women, adults, in our ward about the Old Testament. And I had a curriculum to follow, but I there was a lot of freedom within the curriculum to teach it, to ask questions, was prompted to ask questions from the audience and get their involvement and things like that. Bo, what was your most challenging or rewarding calling? That's a, that's a good question. I, I think probably... Elders Quorum President, I think was the the most challenging and most rewarding. I I was super busy um, professionally, and then also you know very very busy uh, in the ward, and would make you know visits to families multiple nights a week. Uh, was also helping with the welfare of the ward in the way that the church assigned out the welfare monies. So I would interview families. Um, and understand their financial situation to make a, re- a recommendation to the bishop in terms of how we would um, uh, be able to participate for these families in terms of the, the, their welfare needs. Ross, you might have to interpret 
translate for us? What would the, what would that be like in a Christian church? Eldom's what did you call it? Elders quorum. Elders president? quorum president. Yes. What is that? that? Would be I think the closest analogy would be the leader of the men's ministry. So can you could you could you get a calling from from the bishopric and be like, sorry, I'm really busy at work right now. I really I'm going to have to just say no. Uh, technically, you could say no uh, if if you're really busy at work. But but usually, yeah, the expectation is that you accept the calling given to you. Um, the the understanding is that these callings come from God through church leaders. So to say no to a church leader is almost like you're saying no to, to God in in a calling, which nobody wants to say no to to God. So that's yeah, I, I've never said no to a calling, for example, right? And and it's similar, like it's similarly taboo to ask to be released from a calling. Um, that's also, you know, something that you typically don't do. I, I think the church is getting better about that, honestly, um, in, uh, now than, than they were when I was growing up. But, but yeah, typically you you accept your callings and you serve until they tell you it's time to be done and move on to your next calling. Is it tip? Is that typically a year, two years? I know I know bishops typically serve for five years. Is the expectation? Is there an expectation for the other callings? There's really not, I mean, I would say the average is maybe two years, but um, yeah, I, I can't think if, if there's an expectation or a time limit. Uh, it's, it's usually just until they say, hey, we, you know, we, we, want, we need you to serve somewhere else and we're going to replace you guys with somebody else here in this calling. Ross, set us up to talk about one of this. Okay, so this is all the calling that you would have at your ward. But it's so it's not just your family and your home. It's not just your ward and serving at your ward, but it's also that Mormons have something that that a Christian doesn't have because Mormons have a temple. So Ross set us up with the conversation around doing temple work and how that kind of ties into genealogy. For sure. I mean, this is a this is part of the family emphasis because in the LDS cosmology, families are united both kind of infinitely into the past and infinitely into the future. At least they can be through the process of sealing. And so genealogy is a way of identifying past ancestors and, do, and uh, doing then the ordinances that are required for them to be able to accept the LDS gospel. They have to be, everybody has to be baptized and receive the endowment and so forth to be able to be exalted in the celestial kingdom. And so once you're no longer alive on this earth, someone has to do that for you by proxy in the temple. And so that's another expectation for active LDS people is to set aside some time um, to go to the temple and not only do the genealogy, um, but then do the ordinances as well. Now, in my family, we were lucky we had a couple of I have nine brothers and sisters. There was a couple of them who really got into the genealogy. So we just kind of all delegated it to them but because um, <laughs> they were into it. They enjoyed doing it. But then there's also the ordinances. And so going to the temple is another activity that's not right maybe in the weekly rhythm of the ward, but it's something that's expected. Okay, Bo and KD, did, is Ross making this up? This, this, is that for real? Or did he just read that or write that in a book somewhere? No, he did not make that up. That is absolutely true. For you guys then, did you, was the, how regular 
was the temple in your in your faith? Was it something that you would you would you know participate in monthly, yearly, every five yeah, years? Yeah, good question. Uh, early marriage and pre-marriage was monthly. Yeah, we we attended monthly and and sometimes weekly. Um, and you know, obviously, as you have kids, you get a little bit busier. We 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 tried to attend the temple monthly or as regularly as we as we could and then you know for listeners that have kind of heard my story had the whole crisis of faith thing um after that uh, attended less regularly but but still tried to attend multiple times a year um and and always maintained a current temple recommend that was very much a badge of honor for uh for us and i think for any member of the church uh, to make sure that you're always current in your temple recommend, which suggests that you are worthy to enter the house of the Lord at, at any given time. So how how much, like if you were to, I don't know if you ever did this, Bo and KD, but if you were to add up all of your time, family time, commitments, um, you know, time at the ward, serving in the ward, time at the temple, expectation of the temple, how many how many hours would you say a typical Mormon would be busy with service with work? Um, that's a good question. Uh, what do you think? But, well, it, it depends on the calling, right? It, I think there are times and seasons where you're busier and less busy. I think during the busy times you're probably ten twenty hours a week. During the not so busy times you're more like five hours a week. Um, so, but yeah, I, I would say no less than five hours a week for the typical Mormon family. There are times too when you're kind of expected to take off work. If you're over the youth groups, then you're um, asked to go on their camps, um, do youth nights, things like that. So it can add up. So that's that Ross. That seems to be probably the contradiction there. With, with we're talking about family, and yet as I'm thinking about this as a dad, it might be hard to be present as a dad. This is something that I hear. I don't hear it so much from the active members because I'm not necessarily in those circles anymore. But from people who are exiting, um, we'll often talk about man. It's all family values, but we never really had time as a family to do the things that we would like to do because we were in this demanding uh, s- circle of activity with the, with the ward and with the church. Bo and KD, does that ever get articulated like that in the ward or would, would that be kind of anathema to say something like that? That's a good question. I, it, it doesn't get talked about very often. I think what does get talked about in leadership meetings in the church is, hey, we, we understand the sacrifice you're making. We know that this is a lot of time away from family, and we just pray that the Lord, that the Lord will bless you for the time away, mm. um, and that He'll be with your family and, and comfort your sweet wife and kids. That's typically what's, you know, what, what's said. At least what was said in my leadership meetings. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember nights where I'd, I'd come home from work and have to go straight to, you know, church meetings, and then I'd have to go minister to different families that, that needed help, or maybe I'd have to you know, go help repair or roof a house or whatever it was, right? Like there were a ton of different things where, um, where you're asked to, to serve or assigned to serve. And, um, I don't know that I necessarily regret 
any of it. I, I think it's, um, on one hand, it's, it's amazing and uh, beautiful to be able to serve in your community and, and serve uh, your fellow men that way. Um, but I would say a lot of the time I was doing it from the wrong place, if that makes sense. Like I, it probably wasn't a heart attitude necessarily where I was um, wanting to serve these people uh, to bless them or to, to, to praise God or anything like that. Like I was often doing it out of just a duty um, to, to the calling that I had or, or a duty to God, you know, feeling like I was, yeah, supposed to do that rather than like I wanted to, but it's probably a me thing more than a church thing. I don't know. KD for the, for the mom, is it, is it kind of duty to then to let Bo be, be out there serving other families and you're sitting here trying to raise your kids and it probably feels maybe a little lonely sometimes for Mormon moms if if they're especially for let's say you're married to a bishop or someone with one of those busier calling absolutely um yeah it can be lonely but it's also seen I want to be careful but um I think some people really believe you know that the, the higher the calling, the more the Lord will bless them. Um, and for some people, it is kind of seen as a badge of honor almost. So I think that although your husband is gone many nights, and that is a really a big struggle, truly, for women, but some women may, you know, consider it an honor to allow their husband to go out and serve in that capacity. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, to, to Mormons, this is a confirmation that you are living faithfully enough for the Lord to bless you with such high expectations, right? That you would serve in this capacity. So it's absolutely a, a badge of honor. People take pride in uh, high, you know, leadership callings and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Ross, take just a minute to explain the concept of the Sabbath biblically, and then Bo and KD explain how that works out in the Mormon, the typical Mormon family experience. And Ross, maybe also explain, you know, how church, how Christian churches typically view it, because then I think it'll help us to have some context for what Bo and KD say about it. All right, biblically, the Sabbath begins, in, it's in the Ten Commandments, it actually begins in Genesis chapter 1 where God created everything in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And so that gets picked up in the Ten Commandments as a basis for a commandment by God for his people to rest, to set aside one day a week for rest. And the Old Testament presents that as not only rest from work, but also a time that's dedicated toward God, the freedom to be able to really pursue God on a dedicated day. And so biblically, this is the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament has uh, doesn't really pick up the same themes of Sabbath. It reinterprets the Sabbath in certain ways. And so most churches, Christian churches, or traditional Christian churches, I would say, have become, I think, pretty lax about Sabbath. I think in, in the evangelical tradition in America, at one point in time, Sabbath was Sunday, considered to be Sunday, and it was also uh, inviolable. Uh, but I think in our culture, in the last maybe century or so, Sabbath has, for most Christians, is at least maybe a concept of rest and, and maybe not a whole lot more. And so I think the LDS are a throwback, in a sense, to a different era in, in taking the Sabbath much more seriously 
in actual practice. So yeah, Bo and KD, how was it taught for you guys growing up, and is it changing at all for the you know, the newer generation? Yeah, how how it was taught for for me, I grew up, uh, you know, for for many years there was no TV on Sunday. It was you know you were you were with your family, um, staying at home, going to church, and then you know spending the rest of the day either. Uh, playing games as a family or maybe studying a bit of scripture, maybe, uh, you know, later in life it was maybe we watch a family movie. Um, but yeah, we, we could not eat out. We wouldn't go, you know, to restaurants or anything. Definitely no, no going out to see a movie as a family or, or anything like that. It was, it was a day dedicated to church and to family. And, and yeah, I would say it's becoming a little bit more relaxed, uh, as, the younger generation grows up and has kids and everything. Um, but still, yeah, eating out is discouraged. And uh, again, the the point of eating out, at least what I was always told was, well, if, if you go and eat out, you're then paying money for someone to do work on the Sabbath for you to eat your food. And that's what was so discouraged about it. What do you think? I still um, remember <laughs> when we were active that we would sometimes see people like at the grocery store or at Maverick and they'd be like, Oh, you just saw me on a Sunday. (laughs) This door (laughs) got caught red handed. (laughs) So yeah, definitely no uh, grocery shopping. I wasn't allowed to play with friends. Um, Things like that. Uh, Some people really didn't believe in swimming on Sundays. That was definitely looked on as not something you should do. Yeah. So Ross, how does this translate then for the Christian who's listening to this, trying to understand the Mormon neighbor? Like what, what would you, I guess, what would the message be for that person who's trying to build a bridge? Well, I think it creates expectations. I mean, I wouldn't try to necessarily um, invite someone to lunch on, on Sunday. Um, honestly, I had to realize, oh, I'm, I, my neighbors are LDS. I'm not going to mow my lawn on Sunday. You know, I'm not going to do some certain things on Sunday that would be offensive or, or, or would undermine, you know, my credibility in, in the neighborhood. All right, so Bo and KD, we've, we've talked about, you know, what it's like to grow up Mormon. And I think for, especially for our Christian listeners, this has been really insightful to pull back the curtain and have a little more of an understanding maybe, maybe of why um, their Mormon neighbor doesn't spend very much time with them. It's, they've got a pretty busy life if they're if they're really, they've got a, a, a pretty intense calling at their ward, if they're involved in the temple, they've got expectations in home with their family. So we've been talking really for that that Christian who has a Mormon neighbor, but I, I think it would be good for you to just finish, Bo and Katie, I want to hear, like, how do you view all this now? I, I mean, I know you, you, you love your parents, you respect your upbringing. I appreciate that so much about your story, is you're not trying to throw... Mormons under the bus. You're not angry ex-Mormons. You, you, you really, there are so many things that you love and respect from your upbringing. How do you view this whole topic now that you've kind of come to a, a, a different understanding of Jesus and even the church? Well, I, like you said, I do really respect uh, my Mormon neighbors, and having been a Mormon, I know how much hard work goes into it. The, you know, we 
or Mormons really respect hard work. They respect education. They respect commitment to family. And I really love all of those things. Um, but since leaving and uh, coming into Christianity, I've sort of changed my heart attitude towards, um, really towards everything. Um, how I view God, how I view my neighbors, and really just wanting to have the spirit of God, you know, work through me to love my neighbors rather than maybe working for my own worthiness or working for my own salvation. Um, I really, you know, have started to come to understand how God wants me to view everyone, not just, you know, the people who work hard or live in devoted families. Bo, what was your motivation as a Mormon? Because you were in it, as we said a couple of weeks ago in your interview, you were in it to win it, and you were a really hardcore, both, both of you were. What would you say your motivation was in those days compared to how you view your motivation now? Because it's not like you're a slacker. You, you're very involved, but it's it's a different motivation. Speak to that. Yeah, Brian, I think that uh, I think KD summarized it really well. I think I was motivated to live a certain way and to do certain things. One, because I, you know, I believed in it. I believed in eternal families. I believed that um, the harder I worked on my church calling, the harder I worked in uh, my religion, that the more I would be blessed. And the more exalted I would be in the next life with my family. Uh, absolutely. And so uh, there was always a end result that would benefit me. Not, not necessarily selfishly, but, but yeah, I, I was serving others because it was my duty um, as a priesthood holder or uh, I, you know, I was attending the temple because it was my duty. Uh, and, and I think now coming into a, a f much fuller view of God and of, of his plan and of uh, just his absolute grace, I, I think it's just a, a knowledge of his goodness and of his power. And uh, I'm just extremely humbled that he would choose me to, as a vessel to, to serve others through, through his spirit. And I think that understanding of God, who he is, and his love for me, I think, changed everything when, when I grasped it. I'm still trying to grasp it. I think we all, we all are. But, um, but I think that is, was the turning point for me, like going from a place where I was trying to earn his favor, understanding that I have his favor even though I'm a terrible person, even though I'm a sinner. I have... Hmm. God's love and, and he, he provided his grace regardless of who I am and what I've done. And, and as I, uh, believe in him, I'm, I'm saved because, uh, because he made it so. And I, and I, I think, I think it comes down to just who God is and, uh, and, and who we are as, as people. You know, probably I would imagine some of the folks at your ward might be thinking, that you just wanted to kind of take the easy way out, you know, because I know that kind of is a little bit of the mentality that 
that Mormons can have toward Christians is they they use grace as a license to sin. And what what would you say to that kind of a statement? Um, look, I was one of those Mormons that felt that same way. When people would leave the church, I would think, you know, they um, they must have just got tired of living up to the standard, or they must have, um, you know, read some anti-Mormon literature, and they, they must be confused. But yeah, having left the church with none of that being the case for me, um, having left the church because I truly believe, you know, I was on a path to find Jesus and, and feel like I've found him and found his grace. I just, I think uh, what I would tell Mormons that maybe think that Christians are, you know, taking the easy road, I, I would just say it's, you can't work for your own salvation. Jesus did the work. It's on everyone to understand who he is and believe. And in that moment, you are saved, not because of anything you did, because you can't. But in that, you become a new creation. And your heart is changed. And when your heart is changed, you just have this outpouring of love for, for God. And that outpouring of love that comes from that heart attitude, it, it, it turns into you, know, you wanting to serve others. It turns into you wanting to help others find Jesus. And, um, and I think that's the biggest difference. I, I think it's, it's a heart attitude and it's a change that comes only, only from God. So Ross, if families are not the center of the plan of salvation, then, then biblically, what is at the center of the plan of salvation? Well, really at the center is Jesus. And I think you have to ask a question if, um, if heaven isn't enough with just Jesus, if you have to have family there to make it enough, then maybe family has displaced Jesus in some way um, in a person's heart. So really it's about Jesus and our relationship with him and we become, we become part of his family and become his bride. And, um, and really that's all we need. Last thing, Ross, last question for you. You mentioned the bumper sticker at the beginning. So our families forever? Like, wh- what's the biblical answer to that? Because it is a pretty, it's a stumbling block for Mormons, and I think it's important to answer it biblically. Our families forever. Will we know our families in heaven? Yeah, yes and no. Yes, yes we'll know our families in heaven. If they're, if they're believers and we share in Christ, we're family in Christ as well as family genetically. And so, yeah, we would have a special kind of relationship with them that transcends what family life is like now. So no families aren't forever in the sense of a discrete family unit that, that continues to procreate and to, and to have family relations like this earth extended into eternity, but a different kind of family that is really transcendent of what family life is now. And so my hope is um, that I'll experience that life in the presence of God with my family members, but with, with a lot of other people, too, who now become part of my new family in Christ. Yeah, that's a good answer. Well, Bo and Katie, thanks for joining us to talk about life in an LDS family. For those listeners who want to learn more about Mormonism and biblical Christianity, we, we encourage you to check out our resources at PursueGod.org forward slash Mormonism and find all the other resources to learn about what it really means 
to be a follower of Jesus. We'll see you next time. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.